I remember the day I realized I had a job. The lines between home and work were hard to see, and I was the one who had to draw them. It hit me, and I thought, oh, I'm feeling so overwhelmed because I'm a working mom. I I have a job. I have a job. If you're like Emily or Mike and you work hard for your family, maybe you also have some other things, some good things, some interests, some callings that you take serious. Some kind of creating or writing or serving that you feel called to. And it takes time and energy. And maybe it's outside your home. Maybe it's not. Maybe you get paid. Maybe you don't. All you know is you're kind of tired. And maybe you're kind of confused about these interests and this calling. If that's the case, if that's you, then this episode of the Hopeology Podcast is for you. The day I realized I had a job. Hi, I'm Gary, dad of Michael and Emily, and together with our families, we want to help you fulfill your hopes for well, three very important things. A home you love, better family relationships, and peace and rest in your soul. You can join this journey of hope at Hopeology.com. On this episode, The Day I Realized I Had a Job, we talk about a lot of ways that you can be engaged in God's world to do good and to make a difference and to benefit others and yourself and your family, to follow your heart. It's not always involving a job application. It's not always involving a job interview and not always involving leaving your house. But more and more, the responsibility of the acceptance of this calling to do good can sneak up on you. And maybe without deciding to, you realize, I have a job. What is a job anyway? Let's start with Emily. Um, I had something that needed to be done by me that I was being paid for, kind of. (laughs) And you were accepting the money. Yeah, and it was something that if I stopped doing it, then I would be being negligent. That's a job. Um, Yeah, right? I mean, I think it's a job. The, The thing is... At the, at the end of 2009, I signed a contract to write two books. And it was one of those things where I I knew I had written a book proposal. I knew I had met with an editor. All of this was within my awareness. I did not do it in my sleep. No one coerced me into it. But when I did those things, it was almost like I was simply doing the next thing that made sense. I wasn't applying for a job or thinking about a career. It wasn't like that. It was just John was a youth pastor at the time. I had an idea for something I wanted to do for the students in our ministry. And I thought, and Lisa Turkhurst, of all people, said, well, that could be a, a good book. That's a book idea. When you come to my, I mean, my writing conference, you should pitch it to an editor because there'll be editors there. So it was sort of one of those like next step things. So when they ended up liking it, shock of all shocks, and I ended up signing a contract to not write just one, but two books, I still wasn't sort of thinking of it as, oh, this is now my job for some reason. We, I had three, we had three small kids. So you can get a job without really realizing you've applied for one and you don't realize it till you're already doing the job. Because it didn't come with a, it didn't come with sort of a, here are your benefits, here are your working hours, here is your boss, here are your deadlines. It was there were deadlines and there was money involved, but it was so nebulous and it was sort of like this might be the only book you ever write that I didn't wasn't thinking of. It. I sort of backed into it, and I think maybe a lot of people, especially with writing at least, um, or things where you're sort of have to be self motivated for it. It takes a while to realize, like, oh, I have a job. And I remember the day I realized I had a job. It was after I had completely finished writing the first book. And it was September of 2010. We walked our kids to school that morning. And on the way home from walking the kids to school, I started rehearsing in my mind all the things that I had to do that day on my to-do list. It was 
I knew I was going to empty the dishwasher when I got home. I knew I had to put some laundry in. I had to pull the chicken out of the refrigerator to thaw it for dinner that night. I had a blog post to finish. I had uh, to make a phone call to my editor. And I think there was probably some other things all in the mix. It was sort of like home things, work things, life things all mixed together. And I felt in my in my chest, like my heart started to beat, to pound harder. And sort of I was thinking... The lines between home and work were hard to see, and I was the one who had to draw them. I, I realized when I went inside and I was washing the dishes and I started putting the dishes in the dishwasher, it hit me. And I thought, oh, I'm feeling so overwhelmed because I'm a working mom. I, actually, I have a job. I have a job. It was, and I thought, I wonder why nobody told me I had a job. <laughs> <laughs> like, what, what is this? And it was, but it was such a defining moment because... That because there had been tension like between John and I, especially before I signed a book deal. You know, I had been writing for years on a blog before that, and especially when I first started writing, I didn't, I didn't um, have the vocabulary to have a conversation with John to tell him how important writing was to me, and I didn't see it as something. I wasn't necessarily going anywhere with it. There wasn't really an arrow to like. I had this plan that I want to do. It was just like I knew that writing made me come more fully alive, but I didn't have the words to say that. And so he just saw that sometimes, you know, the writing would frustrate me or I would be discouraged and he would see me be discouraged. And he was sort of like, well, if this hobby is discouraging you, then just stop doing it. If it's not fun, then why are you doing it? That type of thing. So we had lots of conversation in the early days of me writing the blog where he didn't understand why I still did something that was maddening. But what I didn't even understand at the time was I, it was such a part of who I was. Writing helped me come more fully alive. But we had to like get through several years of it for me to realize, oh, this is actually kind of my thing. But it just it was so gradual that it was that day when I realized the reason why I can't get everything done is because I have a job and I'm not shouldn't be expected to. But I was the one putting the expectation on myself. When you leave the house and you go to work somewhere, you know that, you know, you, you, you leave things behind and. Sometimes you're not thinking about those other things at home that you need to do right all the time, you know. But when you're there at home all the time, it can be a big jumble. It is a big jumble, and it still is. And that's where, and Michael, and I know you can relate to that too, where I have to, I'm learning. Because for years, I felt like I had a job that I was expected to finish in the cracks between everything else instead of here are the set hours or here is, this is important and these are the times for that. And then you know, kind of coming up with a rhythm that worked for our whole family that that made sense for everyone, that everyone agreed on. And we're still in the process of doing that. And I think, too, I loved how you defined a job that if, you know, it's the thing you're doing, you get paid for it. And if you don't do it, you're neglecting, usually it's you're neglecting like your bosses or the people that are paying you. And there are some jobs even that the person, what you would be neglecting is just really yourself. Like when I was an Etsy seller, I could stop at any time. Like no boss was going to come down on me and say, you're neglecting it. But we relied on that income and I liked having it. And so that was a job, even though, again, I still never thought of it because I like to have that income. Even as a blogger, I could stop kind of at any time, but it's still a job, not because I have a boss necessarily, but because if I stop, then I won't get the income that I like to have. Or the other benefits, because I know for me, for years, I I wrote on the blog and I made it a priority to a certain extent, but I didn't get paid for it. And so I had a hard time justifying spending time on something I wasn't getting hard earned money for. Um, but 
now looking back, almost 10 years, this January, it'll be 10 years that I've been writing on a blog. I realized that all those years of writing, even though I wasn't being paid at the time, have made it so that now writing is my career that I get paid to do. Um, So it was, I didn't realize I had that in mind, but those years still counted. And I still see that as part of my job. But for so long, I think that was another part of it was I thought, I mean, of course, if I wasn't getting paid, I couldn't give 40 hours to something I wasn't being paid for. But I, but I can still, I think it's still important to honor and respect that space of putting in the work and doing it and not discounting it just because I wasn't getting a paycheck at the time. It doesn't have to be a pay thing to count as a job and kind of a contract or something that you've made with yourself about a commitment you've made with yourself to do something. I mean, that would still count, even if you didn't get pay for it. You're getting some right. some benefit that might not be cash, but it's some other kind of pay. Still really valuable. Yeah. Some other kind of pay you're getting, and that that still counts as a job. Right, because money isn't the only currency. There's yeah. also, you know, fulfillment and joy and connection and doing your art. and It may serve some. It serves someone maybe in some way that they someone else gets a benefit for it. From yes. It, that you love or care about. It's important to mention, though, because I, I feel like, money is the currency that you think of when you think job and that <laughs> it can feel like dumb like oh i'm just doing this and it doesn't count you know like i i'm so big on things counting it's like when the kids are playing when the kids like play their games and one of them thinks they got a goal made the goal but the other ones are like that one didn't count you know it's like a really big deal when things don't count you know like either you win the game or you don't win the game based on whether or not that counted and i think the same thing in my work sometimes i try to define whether or not something counts based on measurements that someone else came up with. And I'm trying to own and learn how to come up with my own measurements for success and to decide what counts. And I think that's, for me, that's a really important piece of whether or not at the end of the day, I feel discouraged or I feel like, okay, like I may not have gotten everything done, but my my definition of counting isn't necessarily checking everything off my list as much as I would love to do that every time. You could have a job. Uh, there's no job description except for what you write for it because you're the only one maybe doing that job. Right. Well, so there's years no other- ago, I wrote a purpose statement for Nesting Place before I was making money off of it. But I did two purpose statements. One for like, why I write the blog. I want to encourage other people and I love it and I want people to love their home. But I also wrote a purpose statement for me because like Emily said, I'm spending all of this time on this thing why? I don't know. And so to write the purpose statement for myself. I thought that was genius. Two purpose statements. Yeah, me too. One for them and one for you. Well, and it does exactly what Emily just said. Like, I need to know why I'm doing what I'm doing and have, you know, am I still on course? And the purpose statement can change over time. You're allowed to change it. So when did you realize that you had a job? I have a job. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) It's right now. (laughs) I fight having a job. (laughs) Um, I don't remember the day, but I do remember the time when I figured out that I could either that I had an option, I could either homeschool my boys, which I was doing at the time, or I could work and make money and send them to a private school where they could be schooled. And that was really freeing to me because I because because it gave me options that I could do one or the other. And so I didn't see it as a more as a job as much as like a, a bartering situation that I had where the the job allowed me to do other things. Like I could do the thing I really liked. I didn't feel like I was that good at homeschooling, so that was such a relief to be able to 
pass something on as the boys were getting older. I didn't feel like I was that good at keeping house. We had a really large house at the time. And so I thought, well, gosh, I could do a little more work and then pay for a maid service, or I could do a little more work and then, you know, eat out an extra day or something like that. So it was such a easy trade off for me to feel like I could spend more time doing the things I felt really good at and confident in and helping people. The trade off was I could get help from other people that were good at other things to help me do the things that I wasn't as good at. So I saw it like that before I saw it as a job. I saw it as a way to like barter. That makes a lot of sense. Well, and I like how you said you saw it as an opportunity because it that's really true. It's more freeing, I think, when you see it like that than like, okay, I started this job. I right. guess I'll be putting 20 <laughs> hours in it in a week and need to get a new wardrobe. <laughs> yeah. I think a, one thing for me, especially when I see it as a job, is because I because I didn't consciously go into it, like I feel like I all of a sudden woke up one day and realized, oh, I'm, I have this job. It, it was sort of like I had to grieve the fact that I didn't have a job. I did not have a job. <laughs> and and there was this weird thing in me that um, because I didn't sort of, John and I didn't have this, okay, let's sit down and have a conversation. Now Emily's going to go apply for a job and now you're going to work. It wasn't like that. It was just sort of like how I said this gradual thing. Because of that, I feel like we did things backwards in a lot of ways and including in my own soul because I had to sort of settle some tensions within me that came about because of of spending hours working and writing and doing things that weren't necessarily like directly engaged with the family. Um, I remember another day, the day I stopped feeling guilty about stupid things was uh, two years later, I'd already written, I think two of my books were released and a third one I was writing. I was in the midst of writing and it was springtime. And there's this, there's this tree that grows between our house and our neighbor's house. Every spring it, has these lovely pink buds that come out. And every spring since we've lived here, I go out there and I take pictures with my camera and I, you know, like with the different sky backgrounds and it's so pretty and I love it. And one day in in spring of that year, I realized I had not only had I missed the first buds of that tree and hadn't gone out to take pictures, but the buds had already turned into leaves and it was completely gone. And here I am. I mean, I'm all about creating space for your soul to breathe. And I'm all about celebrating small moments and noticing, you know, the little things in life that make your life beautiful. And here I was missing it because I was so busy writing about it. <laughs> and I felt, I remember feeling like I'm missing my favorite small gifts. I'm not paying attention. But the truth is that that, that simply wasn't true that I'm just not always able to pay attention to everything at the same time. It doesn't mean that I'm neglecting my message. It just meant that this is a season for me to fo hyper-focus in a certain direction for a certain thing um, and a certain project that has to do with me creating my art. Me, And when I say art, I mean anything that makes you come alive, that when you do those things that make you come alive, art is what comes out. And so when I see that definition of an artist for me as a writer, I think that's an important thing. But I can't do that and also do all the things I've always done forever, that every yes comes with a no. And so for me that spring, a no was I'm not going to be able to take pictures of my neighbor's tree. It sounds so dumb, but it, was, it had been such a, a ritual for me. It was such, such a part of our rhythm of our life living here in this cul-de-sac. And the fact that I had missed it, I had this weird guilt-filling feeling. And then I thought, <laughs> wait a minute. 
I've got enough balls I'm juggling in the air. I don't need shame to be one of them. That one I can just drop because that's that's not shame over not taking pictures and noticing a tree. The stupidest thing, but I mean that was that was yeah. indicative of other small things that I knew I had also been missing that were probably more important to be honest with you. Um, but it was just a, a symbol of something that reminded me. But I was like, we, you know, I think part of having a job for me is letting go of feeling guilty about stupid things. It's hard to do because you don't know. You have to learn for yourself what the stupid things are. Right. It's like uncharted territory. When you ta- when you get a job and you apply for it and you leave the house to go to the job, everyone knows that you have to do that. No one's going to argue with you not being home or not being attentive to something because you had to be attentive to something else at another place where it was. If you're at home and you're and you're taking care of your family, and you're doing what you know all you know laundry or cleaning or cooking or taking care of kids and all that no one's going to argue with you over doing that because that's your job and everyone accepts that but if you th- if you're at home and then you have an, a job that's n- a responsibility or a desire or something that you start taking on but it's not outside the house and it's not taking care of the house that's uncharted area you don't know how to think about that you don't, and people can argue with you over that. Well, they don't, you know, someone else maybe doesn't count it as a job until you, like you and John, had you had to think through it for a long time and have conversations with John. Michael was saying the same thing before you actually realize that this thing that you're doing, it's not taking care of the house. It's not a job outside the house, but it has its own demands and responsibilities that you accept. But because it doesn't have a job description, it's your own unique thing and you have to learn what it is and you got to figure it out yourself you can't even ask somebody unless they've gone down the same road and and they can't help you in the details of it because it's your own particular job description it is not a task for the faint of heart and it takes a lot of courage to step out into that type of unchartered territory it would be easy to bail out it would be difficult i would think to maybe get encouragement in that you know because you could you could easily think you know i'm just stupid and this is wrong (laughs) you know if you're going to get a job go outside the house if you're going to be a stay-at-home person then stay at home and do your responsibilities there but this other thing is very very nebulous you know i must be crazy it would be hard could be hard to get encouragement about that thus this podcast One of the challenges I've had with that, which surprised me or I wasn't ready for, was just simply meeting up with people for coffee and having a dear friend text and say, you know, my kids are in school every morning, so let's get together for coffee. Which morning works best for you? And mornings are my best thinking time. They're the time where I feel most clear-headed and I can write or I can create as the day goes on, I feel like I get stupider. So (laughs) I need to use my mornings really, really wisely. And that's when I work. If I can just work like from even 5am to 8, I'll get 100 times more done than 5pm until 8pm. So I try to protect my mornings because I know that that is my best time. That's when it's going to work really A well. A little for aside, me. being around Michaelin at eight o'clock at night can be highly entertaining. Or the worst. Or boring. Sure, her eyes are all <laughs> groggy, you know. It's like she's on medication or something and she's <laughs> just, she's done, you know. Anyway, go ahead. So, what happened forever, and I let this happen, was I felt guilty because that's when my friend could get together. She has preschoolers. <laughs> So that if I want to have friends, I'm going to have to get together when they can't. She can't do it in the afternoon because her kids are home. So forever, I would say yes. And I adore my friends. Um, and I would go out 
and I would be preoccupied or they would be really late and then I would be thinking about the work I could have done and during my best time and I would have wasted a day because also, you know, there's the whole maker versus manager thing and I'm a maker. I need large chunks of time to get a little, I can't run home like, oh, I have 30 minutes before the boys come home. I'll start this project. I don't work that way. I need a long stretch of time to be able to attack something and to feel like it was worth it. And so my day would be I'm quoting, ruined. <laughs> this is so horrible. <laughs> I'm so dramatic. My workday would be ruined. And unless like our conversation was really meaningful and deep, then I also sometimes felt like all we did was get together and like talk about school and hair and that's so not worth it. And I let this happen because I got together during my work time, but I'm free to get together anytime. So I have to say yes. And I finally had the confidence to say, that's when I work. And it wasn't until even though I worked, I had contracts and agreements. It wasn't until I was the only one in our family working and Chad wasn't even working. So I'm the sole provider for our family for a while. And I finally had the confidence to say, I am working. And that's when I work. So I can't get together, then here's when I can get together. And I knew that that time that I could get together was not going to work out. I knew going in, like I was telling my friend a time that I knew wasn't good for her. And surprise, she made it happen. She was like, well, let's try to get together at X o'clock and I'll have a friend keep the kids and it worked out. But it was really freeing for me once I said and protected that time for myself. It was like honoring my own self. And now I feel a lot more confidence to do that. But I, it took me like six years to be able to say, "Wow, I can't get together for coffee then because I'm working. That's when I work. Even though we all know I'm just sitting at home and I could leave at any time. And yes, I can open my computer at midnight and work, but I'm not going to. Maybe something that is helpful then is to define to yourself if you have something that you could call a job, even if and maybe, it, maybe you get paid for it or maybe you don't or maybe you want to in the future. Do you have something like that? that you've made a commitment to yourself that you're going to do this or you need to do it, but it's not outside the home and it's not taking care of of the home, but it's something else that's related that fits and everything, you know, it's not completely alien, but to like cross a line with yourself maybe and say, yes, that is what this is. And then to define what yourself to yourself, maybe what commitment you're actually making. Right. No one else will protect that. What you ex- are the only person. Yeah. And w- what expectations to, to think about what they are so that you can define them and then talk about them maybe with family or, you know, whoever you need to about here's what I think I'm supposed to do. And here's what I think it means. And here's what it costs. And here's when I think I should do it. What it means to me, what price I'm willing to pay. Think it through some so that you know what you've actually committed to. That's so helpful. Otherwise, you go six years, right? And you're trying to figure it out (laughs) as you go. That's what John and I had to do. What you just said, sort of like in that order, we did three things. We had to have a conversation, number one, about we had to have a mutual agreement that, yes, this is a priority, and yes, this is a job. And honestly, it was book number three when we finally had that conversation. How many years had you been going down that road before you had the conversation? Um, Gosh, at least three years. But sometimes you don't realize maybe that you're in it, right? We didn't realize. And the first book, I mean, I use this, I I have to talk about books because that's how I define when I sort of was working. The first book I wrote, my kids were still in preschool and they only went twice a week. And so I wrote that first book, Tuesdays and Thursdays between the hours of nine and one. And 
that didn't really affect John a ton because he was at work too. And I just knew that Tuesdays, Thursdays at nine from nine to one, I had to spend those hours doing things that I couldn't do if kids were home. So dishes were dirty in the dishwasher. I mean, in the in the sink. Oh well, I can do that while the kids are home. I can't write the book while the kids are home. So I had to make those types of decisions. So one was we had a mutual agreement. Like yes, this is something we both see as a priority to a certain extent. Um, the second thing was we had to accept that me saying yes to this meant I was going to have to say no to some other things and to let go of some of that guilt that comes with, oh, John's going to take the kids to the pool without me. Not every time, but this time or or this time and the next time. And knowing that that didn't mean I'm neglecting my kid's childhood because I'm not going to the pool with them. Like that that doesn't I don't have to like dra- dramatize. What's the word? Overdra- <laughs> be overdramatic. <laughs> I think if you feel like, oh, I'm neglecting, then you're not. You know, if that's a fear that you have, then right. I'm aware of it. So it's like, okay, you're safe. Um, and the last thing was knowing that that if this work is something that's either necessary for our family or something that's, even if it's not mon- money, even if it's just something that's that's helping me to become more fully myself, I feel like a lot of my, that, that makes it worth it. Um, that was kind of the third thing of John and I kind of talking about that together. Um, or even just me accepting that in my own self. I, I used to struggle a lot more with anxiety um, years ago, especially when the kids were little. I don't know if it's just because of like our family history that we have, like, or if it's just my own temperament, um, or if it was just having little kids. But I used to really struggle with being afraid and being fearful at night and during the day worrying about things. Once I started writing, um, a lot of that anxiety, I don't remember a time when it went away. But I do know two years later, looking back, I was just not struggling with that as much anymore. And I, I, I credit that in large part to um, the confidence it took to pursue something that made me come alive. And writing itself helped me process some of those things that were happening. Um, but I think there's something to uh, giving yourself permission to move in a direction towards something that you feel like, I, I just really want to try this out or I want to do this. It, it was sort of preoccupied my mind and gave me something else to think about rather than all the things I was afraid of all the time. And I that's like worth that. something. That's worth a yeah. lot. Oh, totally. And it benefited family. your whole family. I think yeah. that's part of the job is when there's something like that you're doing, even if you're not making money, to kind of point out the benefits to the whole family. I think that's why probably Chad and John have always been so supportive because they see how happy doing, you know, for me, messing around in my house makes me so happy. So he's thrilled to come home to, even if the house is kind of a mess, I'm in a good mood because I got to play around in my house and then write about it. Man likes woman in good mood. Yeah, he doesn't care if I make money or not. He cares that I'm happy. So, oh, spend that time. (laughs) I love when you say, Michael, and about home stuff, you always say, like, tell your husband how happy it will make you when you're able to paint that paint that brick and then your job is be happy (laughs) right like we all (laughs) want help doing things don't complain after that yeah like if they see you frustrated they're gonna say "Ooh, you shouldn't do that anymore because they love you but if they see you thrilled and happy then they're gonna encourage you in that it's just kind of a human nature thing they want to protect us from being unhappy they want to encourage us in things that give us happiness so let them see that it makes you happy So it's, it can be hard. So if it's not like a defined thing, like you have a job outside the home and everybody understands that and you understand that, we all know the rules, or you have a job in the home, you're taking care of kids, you're taking care of family and husband and house, everybody understands that, we know all those rules. But if it's something besides that, 
and it's not one of those other two things, even though it may be important and it may be just as challenging, that can be hard because you've kind of got to find out what the rules are yourself and include everybody else so that everybody's on the same page. That can be really hard and challenging. And it changes as your children age. Yeah. They're in preschool, now they're in middle school, now they're in high school, they're driving, your husband's job changes. So the responsibilities that you might have as a person, as an available mom that works at home, that can look different all the time, which is a great thing in a way, because you it can a great change thing. up how you work and how you do things. Yep. You're, yeah. you're both talking about some self-awareness about how you feel and what you're doing and what's going on. And even then, it still took years for both of you to realize, oh, I have a job and to think of it in terms of that because, you know, the responsibility or the work or the commitment that you're going to make, it still took a long time. But if you're not thinking about it or having self-awareness about it, and you're just allowing yourself to feel emotions, like I must be doing something wrong or I need to feel shame or something's not right. If you just go like that and don't really try to think it through, you know, what have I committed to? Why do I feel this way? What should I do about it? What conversations do I need to have? What commitment have I made? What is it worth to me? What's the benefit to everybody? When you go through that, that can be very much more helpful and make you feel like this thing that's inside me that I'm trying to do is really important, just like many other parts of my life are really important. Something practical that really has helped me with that um, is talking it out with someone. I'm an internal processor, and so my default is to think it out in my head and even maybe write it down in my journal or whatever. But I discover, I've discovered that I desperately need to bounce things off of John or a good friend, um, so much so that I've developed some different boards for myself. Like I have a speaker board that helps me. Um, and it sounds very official. You mean like people. You mean like a board people, of directors. A thing. board of people. Not even like board of directors, but just yeah. friends who have agreed to help me think. At first, I thought you meant like Pinterest or Trello or something like that. No, like people, yeah. like individual humans with heartbeats. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, because I'm an internal processor, I would think like, oh, no, I'm just going to think through this on my own. But even someone like me who processes internally, I need to process externally my internal thoughts sometimes and be like, okay, does this make sense? So I have a few different, like I have a couple of friends who I just, if I have a big decision to make, I will bounce it off of them and say, does this sound like something you think I would do Do or not? Do you have meetings and snacks and take minutes? Sometimes we don't take minutes, but like, you know, even like, like I talked about speak, speaking for a while was a big um, conversation for me because that's part of my job. And I enjoy it. I, I really enjoy speaking and having different opportunities, but I, I can't, definitely can't say yes to all the requests I get. And so I needed help deciding which ones do I want to do? Which ones do I not want to do? Which ones are smart? Which ones are not great for my family, the timing and all that. So all of those little decisions, I finally got smart this year, 2015, and got a little bit more organized with having an officially unofficial speaker board. I feel way more supported in it, not because they've changed, but because I finally said, hey, here's what I need. Can you guys help me? And the people I asked to be on it are like, of course we can. And they've been so helpful in helping me. I think sometimes we think we have to do it on our own. And if we don't have these natural abilities to like figure stuff out. You can do that with anything then. You can do it with anything. Any, like, anything that's on your heart, anything that you're confused about, any calling that you feel you have. I highly recommend the board. You're so good at that. You guys did that too with John's transition with his job. We did. And I think that's something you guys are good at. And it's a great reminder that because you hear that a lot like with speakers or that kind of thing. But you can do that. Like Dad said, you can do it with anything. It doesn't have to be that you're a speaker. It can be. Need another name, name besides doing. board, though. <laughs> we called uh, John's group our co-listeners. 
Oh gosh, that's, that's so good. good. I know it was <laughs> when it was, that. it was six months after he had left his job, his 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 real job with a job description and a salary, and you know he was a youth pastor. Everybody knows what that means. It's like being a banker. Like okay, you work at a bank, you work at a church. He quit that job, stepped into nothing, and so um, six months later, we just asked some people we really respected and looked up to and loved to come to our house and eat pie and have coffee and listen to us say words. <laughs> And we did that. And then they sort of reflected back to us what we were saying. And You know, that is so helpful when people can do that with you. How many times have you uh, listened to somebody and then, they, and then they thanked you for helping them and giving them good advice and you didn't say squat? Oh, absolutely. They just, they hear them, you hear yourself talk and it helps you. And if someone can help you to hear what you've been saying and what you think, that can be really great benefit for you. Yeah, that's been, I mean, that was everything. And that, I credit that first co-listener meeting. We had three of them that year. So we sort of had them like, you know, one in the winter, then a, a spring, and then a fall or something like that. And after that, that's when John's ministry that he now has, um, I just wrote a post about it actually today or this past week about um, what happened after my husband quit his job, just sort of explaining the process of um, we left a job, stepped into nothing, and here are the arrows that we followed in order to get where we are now, which is still a middle. I mean, you know, in Hopeology, we talk all about this is all about, you know, the beginnings are scary, endings are usually sad, but it's the middle um, that counts the most. And that's kind of what we talk about here is hope in the middle. And so, even though John has now stepped into sort of something that has a little bit more semblance of a job and a job description. It's still sort of self-made and like, okay, we're still making up the rules as we go and it's still a middle, but it's an ending of not knowing. And that's been really nice. Any conclusion, any encouragement? Permission to respect and honor the rhythm that this season requires and to recognize the markers that come in each season and the markers might be circumstance or people or conversation or different things, but just sort of being aware of what those might be and then giving yourself permission to, to follow those. Something to pay attention to. And that may not require action, but honoring that. And I think to evaluate what you're doing, why you're doing it, and allow yourself to change things. That's the best one. Allow yourself to change things. That's so freeing. Because there's a lot of things in life we can't change, but there are many things that we can that we don't realize we can. And trust. There is someone that loves you more than you love yourself and who cares more about you than you even care about yourself and who knows everything that's going on in your heart and right now and in the future and who is allowing things to be presented before you in your heart or in your circumstances and who has a purpose for all of them. That'll preach. Okay. And cut. To connect with Michaelin, visit thenester.com. To connect with Emily, visit chattingatthesky.com. To connect with our family, visit hopology.com. Thanks for listening to the Hopology Podcast.